What is going on guys, it is your boy Perry back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. As always guys, follow me on Twitter, 49ers Perry, that's team name 49ers, P-E-R-R-Y, and put it all together. Follow the podcast, RGS Pod on Twitter, follow 49ers Hive, that's 49ers Hive, H-I-V-E. And for this episode today, guys, this portion right here is going to be a little short, but very significant in terms of everything that happened today. Although I'm recording at 12.02 a.m. right now, and technically it's Tuesday, the bottom line here, though, is that the news that happened on Monday regarding the 49ers was just absolutely insane. It was absolutely wild, everything that went down, and it's not like a lot of things happened, but it was mostly a few significant things happened and guys i'm gonna break it out all down for you right now so let's get right into it before i get into meat of this we're gonna talk a little trade quan alexander got traded to the new orleans saints unbelievable of all teams guys quan alexander is going to the new orleans saints he's getting traded for a conditional fifth round pick the niners are also getting back linebacker kiko alonso kiko alonso as everyone knows kind of laid that really dirty hit on joe flacco i believe a few years ago when alonso was in miami but in any event, Kiko Alonso has been a pretty solid depth piece for the New Orleans Saints. At this point, he's nothing major. He's not going to go out there and be a guy like Quan Alexander was when he was healthy. But I still think Alonso is a really good depth piece. He's making about $4 million in base salary. I believe at this point, he'll probably only be making about 2 to $3 million given how much he's played and how much he's been paid already. But the bottom line here is that we have Kiko Alonso as depth. And really, this is the type of move the team has to make in order to free up salary cap space. Right now, letting Quan go, I saw was roughly about $15 million in salary cap relief. A lot of that was offset by dead cap, which, if I'm not mistaken, was about $7.9 million in terms of dead cap. Or 8.6, something like that. It's between 7 to $8 million. But really, the Niners are saving a lot of money by just trading away Quan Alexander and look it's not the move I wanted the team to make but at the end of the day the team was really strict and limited on salary cap space they're gonna need the money going into next year because as far as we know we don't know what the salary cap is going to be we don't know if it's going to be the 175 million like the NFL and a lot of other people have projected or if it's going to be higher or lower or really just whatever at this point because of COVID-19 so really all depends and it's really situational at this point but I think to give you guys my opinion on the whole thing regarding Quan Alexander it's really frustrating that someone of his caliber is getting traded away and Scott Geelan our local resident and film analyst will tell you best that Quan's highlights and or not even just highlights just Quan's level of play when he was on fire was arguably at the level of one of the best linebackers in all the NFL. Yeah, Quan had his moments of breaking coverage or missing some tackles, but when you saw him flying around the field making those tackles and just filling gaps or doing whatever he was supposed to do in coverage, Quan Alexander was playing honestly like a defensive back. And that's just kind of how fast and how rangy he is. And I think a lot of that reflects in Fred Warner. A lot of that reflects in Dre Greenlaw. And if you guys go on social media, especially Twitter, you'll see a lot of the players like Jarek McKinnon and even DJ Jones are dropping emojis and saying WTF. And yeah, when you make this kind of move, it will definitely ruffle some feathers in the locker room. And look, I'll tell you guys right now, I definitely believe that John Lynch and Shanahan and Sala did not want to make this move just in terms of who Quan is, what he did for that locker room. But at the end of the day, you have to separate the game from business. And really, it was just a business decision. This team, 
in a sense, it almost feels like trading him away not just is a salary cap relief move, but I also feel like it's just kind of a we made a mistake move. This is the best we're going to get for him right now. Let's move him and see what we can get. And obviously the Saints were the one team they got, I guess, the best value from here. But it kind of goes hand in hand. I think you guys, the team needed salary cap, but they also needed to pave way for Dre Greenlaw, which at this point basically officially puts him in as his, at his position as the starting guy going forward opposite Fred Warner. And look, it, that's just what happens at this point. While Quan Alexander was hurt, Dre Greenlaw was playing and he was exceeding at his position. And as much as it sucks to see Quan miss time up until he got traded, it, him missing time really just opened the door for Dre Greenlaw to come in and excel, and that's just exactly what happened. So it was a series of unfortunate events for Quan Alexander, but it was also opening a window and opening a door for Dre Greenlaw to step in and just be a guy, be a man, and just step up and be one of the rising young linebackers in all of football. And here's the thing, too, is that we already see Fred Warner budding as an all-pro linebacker, and he's coming in arguably as the best middle linebacker in the game and what the NFL has to offer. Now you have Dre Greenlaw, who is the weak side linebacker or strong side, either or. It kind of flip-flops. You have Dre Greenlaw, who really is playing the Navarro Bowman to Fred Warner's Patrick Willis. And you see him growing in front of our eyes. And it really just kind of, it gets you guys excited. And it gets me and a lot of other people, and I'm sure the coaching staff, excited that Dre Greenlaw is coming along so nicely. And I'll tell you guys right now, after watching or reading Dre Greenlaw's story about that girl that he saved who would have gotten drugged at that party years ago, when you read about that kind of thing, it, it is something that really warms your heart and really gives you a lot of just good feelings about who Dre Greenlaw is. But I think there's more to it than that, you guys. I really think when you see someone like Greenlaw or just any person doing something that special, it really makes you think that this person has the ability to just simply be special in life. And whether that happened or not, I mean, in terms of what Greenlaw did, like whether he did do that or not, the bottom line is that Dre Greenlaw is just a special person. He's caring. He's very, it seems like he's very forgiving and he's just a very wholesome person. And yeah, we don't really get too many quotes and whatnot from him, but you just see how he is on the field. And I'll tell you right now, there was a play against the Seattle Seahawks where they gave up a touchdown in the end zone. But Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw were just yelling at each other and going at it and trying to get in their proper position. And in a sense, you don't necessarily want to see those two guys arguing on the field, and I'm sure at that point, a lot of the frustration was just building up between them and the entire defense, but when you see two guys here just go, like yelling and going at it and really just trying to get themselves properly fixed and situated on defense, basically, it kind of gets me excited in the sense that you have two guys here who just want to win, and they just want to play hard-nosed football, and all they care about is playing the game properly, and yeah, when I was watching that, I was like, damn, Greenlaw and Warner are going at it right before the ball is about to be snapped, but again, when you have something like that happening, you see two teammates who are just communicating, who are just trying to get on the same page as fast as they can, and try to prevent a touchdown, or try to prevent a big play, and in that case, the touchdown was scored, but I want to say it wasn't really on Warner or Greenlaw at that time, so I'm not going to hold them too accountable, but I will say that having those two guys anchor the middle of the defense and really just shore up that front seven, and the front seven hasn't even been bad per se, it's just the Niners aren't getting any pressure, they aren't really getting any sacks, and no one is hitting home and finishing, 
And you have guys like Kerry Hyder who are, are leading sack leaders. And I think Kerry Hyder has five and a half sacks on the season, which is really, really good in his terms. But you have someone like Eric Armstead, who I believe only has one and a half sacks on the season. Javon Kinlaw has none. No one else on the defensive line has as many. I think Kwan Williams has two or one and a half sacks, and that's as many as some of our D-linemen. So... It's it's been a really rough stretch for the defensive line all throughout the season. I know at times they've flashed and have looked really good, but more often than not, that line is just good on run defense, and they're not built to rush the passer. And that's just what happens when you don't have D Ford. That's what happens when you don't have Nick Bosa, and you don't really have a good, effective defensive line rotation that can put all those guys in a really good position. And it's kind of frustrating to really see that taking place compared to what we saw from the defensive line last season, but it's injuries, you guys, it's football. And at some point we just have to face the reality that this Niners team is just unhealthy. These guys are dropping like flies left and right. I saw a tweet from, I believe it was Ian Rappaport was saying that after George Kittle and Jimmy Garoppolo go on IR, who I haven't even talked about yet, that'll be coming up shortly. After those two go on IR, the 49ers will literally have over $80 million worth of salary cap in terms of contracts, guys making money and all that, on IR. Over $80 million of players worth on IR, and that is just absolutely an unbelievable number. And it's football, just like any sport. Teams get unlucky, teams catch bad breaks. And what's happening to the Niners, and it's just this year alone, I mean, they lost the Super Bowl, they lost Nick Bosa, they lost Solomon Thomas, Raheem Mostert is constantly hurt, now Garoppolo and Kittle are both out for a lot of time. 2020 just hasn't been the year for the Niners, you guys, but go- going back to uh, what I was talking about earlier regarding Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner, just to just to speak on a more positive note before this gets sad, Warner and Greenlaw, without a doubt, are the real deal. I already know, a lot of people already know that that case and that point was solidified. These are two really good linebackers. But you have two guys on the field who maybe didn't have their best game against Seattle, but they still went out there and played their asses off. And at this point in the season with everything going on, that's really the most you can ask for from Warner and Greenlaw at this point. But in any event, you guys, that's enough about those two. Let's get into the real the real sad portion of the podcast. Jimmy Garoppolo, man, he's hurt. Uh, it is reported that his high ankle sprain has pretty much flared up once again. And according to Lombardi, Ian Rappaport, Adam Schefter, Jimmy Garoppolo is expected to miss at least six weeks officially with that high ankle sprain that has been re-aggravated. And I don't want to speculate too much on this because I feel like this could be an entire podcast episode on itself. But I do want to say that I I think the team rushed back Jimmy Garoppolo. And again, I don't want to make too big of a deal about this. We definitely will a later time in the week. But right now, I just want to say that if guys like Christian McCaffrey and Michael Thomas aren't still fully healed from their high ankle sprain, and I get it, one's a wide receiver and one's a running back. But you got to figure that with high ankle sprains, the time period to heal is roughly about the same. And what really throws me off about this is that we saw Jimmy Garoppolo play last week when against New England when he looked a lot better, and same with the Los Angeles Rams. And both those starts, Jimmy Garoppolo looked really good. And I know he at those times he still wasn't fully healthy, but he definitely was working himself back into shape. In both of those games, Jimmy Garoppolo kind of looked like the guy that we've been wanting to see, and he still wasn't there. Let's get that straight. 
but we saw him flash and we saw him be a little more consistent in the New England game and it really gave me hope that Jimmy Garoppolo is finally on the right track to succeed and just look good once again and then you enter the Seattle Seahawks game where everything just was bad from the start from Shanahan's play calling to Garoppolo's overall play to offensive line blocking and you can factor in anything you want the important thing is Jimmy Garoppolo did not look good he did not look good at all and regardless of if he was hurt or if he was healthy up until he re-aggravated that ankle in which Nick Mullins came in for Seattle Jimmy Garoppolo just did not look like himself at all and he didn't display any confidence he didn't really display any good decision making he threw that really bad interception behind George Kittle where he pretty much got pushed down after the ball was thrown and it was just an easy interception for the Seahawks it was those kind of throws and that kind of game for Jimmy Garoppolo where, all right, I don't think we're going to see good Jimmy. And in fact, we just saw really bad Jimmy and it resulted in him getting, not benched, but taken out because he hurt that ankle once again. And Nick Mullins came in and just balled out in garbage time when it didn't really matter. So it's kind of tough to make of the whole situation regarding Jimmy Garoppolo. But with him missing six weeks, now is just crunch time for the Niners. Again, all these segments I'm talking about up until we get into the live stream later on. Anything about this, you can make an entire one hour to two hour podcast about whether you talk about Greenlaw and Warner, whether you're talking about Quan or Garoppolo or Kittle. There's just so much going on with this team, but it it is what it is, man. Niners football is definitely a struggle, but I want to say looking at the big picture here, I don't know what we're going to expect from the Niners just answering in the short term right now. Obviously, they have a quick turnaround against the Green Bay Packers, but who knows, man? Who knows? The Packers have looked very beatable. Nick Mullins, although he was throwing against garbage time, looked really good, and he was making the most of his plays. Mullins looked really good when he did have to start, but he also looked really bad against the Eagles when he had to start. So I don't really know which Nick Mullins we're going to get, but really it's just I don't think the Niners it's not that I don't think they have a chance to make the playoffs just because the NFC is really bad this year you guys outside the NFC West the rest of the NFC is nowhere near as intimidating as I thought it would be going into this year and the Niners still have all the ability to squeak in as an 8-8 or a 9-7 playoff team it's just it's a matter of how well Nick Mullins plays it's a matter of how well the defense is going to play and how well Shanahan's play calling is going to be and that's just football there's a lot of factors that go into this but I will say that I'm not going to count everything out for the Niners yet and I'm going to try and keep a half glass full kind of approach here look the Niners coming into this season still have one of the best coaching staffs in football regardless of the injuries the Niners are honestly lucky to be four and four this year and I know they beat an overrated Rams team and a bad New England team and also two very bad New York teams but again, when you have a really good squad, when you have a really good team who is still cohesive and still don't seem to <laughs> really give up on each other, these guys want to go out there and win. And I don't think they're just going to roll over and lose. I know it was really bad against Seattle, but we saw Nick Mullins was leading drives and he was leading points. If the Niners had gotten that two-point conversion to make it a one-score game and if, say, they did recover that onside kick or whatever may have happened, it felt like the Niners still would have had at least a chance, and if they would have somehow pulled that game out of their hat, this would be an entirely different story, even with Garoppolo and Kittle missing time now. But the window's not closed, you guys. I would say it is all but closed, but just staying optimistic here, I think there's a little crack in that window that gives the Niners some hope, but 
at this point. It's a matter of how bad do they want it. It's a matter of how bad does the coaching staff want it. And you know teams will never admit that they're tanking, and the Niners will especially never admit that they're tanking. But all I'm going to say is this, you guys. With a really good quarterback class coming up in this draft, including Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, um, Mac Jones, there's a lot of good quarterbacks here that could fill in for Jimmy Garoppolo and really just be the next big guy in an offense that just needs a spark. And I'm going to leave you guys with one more note before I talk about George Kittle here. But Steve Young went on K on VR, I believe, I believe, and he was really just talking about Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan and just kind of Shanahan's system. And there's something really unique that stood out to me regarding this. But Steve Young was basically saying that Kyle Shanahan was able to mold his system to fit for Jimmy Garoppolo, which which means that Kyle Shanahan was able to alter his system to make it work for Jimmy Garoppolo. But the problem is that exactly Kyle Shanahan had to change his system for a quarterback. Usually it's the quarterback he gets that he can work into his system that is already established. That is really just been the, I guess, the groundwork and just the frame for his success throughout the years. And you look at the quarterbacks he's had, like Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, uh, Matt Schaub, Brian Hoyer, who we got a lot out of when Hoyer was good. Not with the Niners, but I think when Hoyer was... um. He might have been with the Browns, I want to say, when Shanahan was there. Hoyer's been everywhere. But the bottom line here is that I think you can kind of tie in every one of these quarterbacks and look at them and go, you know what, these guys are all really similar. They're all not super athletic, but they can kind of move. They don't have the greatest of arm talents, but they're really good in the middle of the field. They have a pretty decent deep ball. And then you look at Jimmy Garoppolo where it's like, okay, Jimmy's got the quick release. Jimmy has the zip when he's using his proper mechanics. But Jimmy Garoppolo has no deep ball. He has very bad decision-making at times. He doesn't read the field. He doesn't progress through his reads all the time. And when you have a quarterback who's just as wildly inconsistent as Garoppolo is, it just makes Kyle Shanahan's life that much harder. And at this point, I don't know if the Niners can really do any better or any worse if they let Garoppolo go. They have Nick Mullins. They have C.J. Beathard, who I don't necessarily believe in. But if Shanahan has his guys and he likes him, who knows? Maybe one of these guys will competing will be competing to start next year, and they'll be in front of the eventual successor, which could be a Trey Lance or Justin Fields or Mac Jones or anyone at this point. I think the option is up in the air, and that's just because of the salary cap situation. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo's contract is just absolutely expendable at this point. After next season, I think he'll be on the books for $27 million dollars or 26 million 19 I, I don't know you guys it's a lot of money here but i'll tell you they can get him off the books with a pretty big salary cap dump and save a lot of money and only have him on the books for like 1.6 or 1.7 million dollars in dead cap so it's a lot of speculation now but i will say that depending on how this packers game go or yeah this packers game goes this week much will be determined about the niners overall future you guys but I'm going to close out with one more point here before I kind of wrap it up and we go into the live stream. George Kittle, after that really nice catch he made against Seattle where it was like a jump ball and double coverage, he landed kind of bad on that foot, and then it is reported after x-rays that he officially has has a partial broken foot in his foot, and he's going to miss about eight weeks according to Adam Schefter. And when you have your star tight end and literally a top 10 player in the entire league, have to miss time in eight weeks. And it sounds like if barring anything crazy, Kittle could play in week 16 or 17. But 
with the vibe around the fan base and around the team right now, it just seems like that would be a lost cause. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw George Kittle play his last game of the season. And look, you just got to keep him safe. That's the bottom line. If he if he can play and he wants to play in week 16 or 17, I don't know if I want to take that chance. But I will say if by some miracle the Niners are 8-7 and seven or 9-6 and six and that last game does matter, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Kittle go out there and play and try and leave it all on the field for his team. But that's a lot of big ifs, you guys. Right now, it doesn't feel like anyone is really confident that the 49ers are going to even sniff the playoffs at this point. And... Again, this just didn't really feel like their year from the start. Obviously, after losing Bosa and Solomon Thomas, after Jimmy Garoppolo getting hurt in the Jets game as well, everything just kind of fell apart. And that cohesiveness, like the glue that held the team together, is just weakening and weakening. And really, it's just at this point, it almost feels like there's no hope. And I don't want to be that person because I know I said earlier I want to try and keep a half-class full approach here. But it is getting really harder and harder to believe in this team for the rest of the season, you guys. I will say that much. But that pretty much wraps it up for this portion before we get into the live stream, which is a very good recap of the Seattle Seahawks. It features me, Matt, and Zach all together just chatting it up, talking about the pretty much all the sad stuff that happened <laughs> that I've been talking about. But to close out, you guys, Jerry Greenlaw and Fred Warner are the real deal. Quan Alexander got traded to the New Orleans Saints for a conditional fifth-round pick, Kiko Alonso. Second piece of news, Jimmy Garoppolo will out or will be out for at least six weeks minimum, which could also mean we may have saw his last snap as a 49er, but I don't want to segue into that. And lastly, you guys, George Kittle is going to miss at least eight weeks with a broken bone in his foot. And let's just prayers up for all these guys, man. It's just been a wild ride for the 49ers this year, and the season is only halfway over. We literally still have a whole second half of the NFL football to watch, and whether it'll be good, whether it'll be bad, I don't know. I don't care. All I care about is just going out there and watching the 49ers play, win or lose. I think we all can admit that we are all in this boat together. But guys, thank you so much for tuning into this portion of the section. We're going to get into the live stream right now, again, which talks about me, Matt, and Zach going over the Seattle Seahawks game. And as always, guys, thank you for listening to me. Thank you for listening to the RGS pod. Follow me on Twitter, 49ers Perry. That's 49ERS Perry, P-E-R-R-Y. Put it all together. And as always, guys, thank you for listening to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Next up, the live stream. What's going on, guys? Thanks for tuning in. To our Seahawks, excuse me, 49ers Seahawks recap here on 49ers Hive. Got Matt and Anthony here with me. That was a pretty ugly performance. Um, I'm almost speechless. We were expecting a lot more. Anthony, what were your initial thoughts of the game? My initial thoughts were that the offensive line was playing as bad as they were up until they looked good against the Patriots. And that's kind of what I tweeted this out about a week or so ago, but it really feels like Kyle Shanahan's offenses are really predicated on how well the offensive line plays. And obviously quarterback has just as much to do with it as well. But when you have someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, who barring his injury still can't rise above the occasion and he really can't elevate his play when everything is breaking down around him, it just makes the entire matter worse. So it was just a bad performance from the team overall, I thought. But more specifically, I think like if you try and figure out which unit was bad, you could say that the O-line was 1A and Garoppolo was 1B because both units were just terrible. I think that's fair. Um, it was 
Yeah, it, it was hard to tell whether it's Jimmy that was bad, the play calling was bad, the offensive line was bad, or just all of it was bad. Matt, what would you say was kind of the worst takeaway from today? Um, the, the the 49ers have a quarterback problem. I'm out on Jimmy G. I'm done. I'm done. Um, it's just too many times where you have the, you know, the throw, like the, the interception today, where it's just like that's a rhythm throw, and it's just so far behind that, you know, the receiver has to do contortions to try to knock the ball down. And it's just too much of that. His ball placement is terrible. And I know that when Mullins came in, people were like, you know, lamenting the fact that Kyle Shanahan started calling screen passes and stuff. And my theory is Kyle Shanahan knows that Jimmy's ball placement is garbage. So you can't throw those screens with him because he's just going to sail the ball. And he does it all the time. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I just can't. We're, we're to the point now where he's had enough starts that it's no longer a oh, he has room to grow. He is what he is. And, you know, you don't have to be Russell Wilson. You don't need your quarterback to be Russell Wilson because there's so few of those. But you have to be better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think that that's a delineating line for the 49ers right now. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be another in the long line of quarterbacks that, you know, started out with a lot of potential and then fizzled out. You know, people like Colin Kaepernick, people like Jeff Garcia, who started out really well, and then their play fizzled as it went further along, and people kind of scouted them out a little bit more. And it's unfortunate, but at least you know now, with a really deep quarterback class and Jimmy's contract being pretty uh, pretty easy to shed at the end of the year. So, you know, I'd look for them to definitely start <laughs> scouting them in the draft. So. It's, it's unfortunate, but you can't use the injury excuse anymore. The play is just bad. The ball is bad. The placement's bad. Inconsistency. I, I just can't, you know, I can't sit here and dunk on people like Cam Newton and say that they're bad and then look at Jimmy Garoppolo and think any differently. That just wouldn't be, you know, intellectually honest of me. And if there's anything I am, it's honest. And Jimmy is not the guy. Yeah, it was it was really ugly. And I know um, we see have RW here saying that he's clearly injured. He couldn't plant that back foot. But a lot of his throws, even still, the placement was bad. The, the decision-making has nothing to do with his foot. And some of the right. the, the throws that he decided to, to make were just horrible, horrible throws. He missed a wide-open juice at one point. It was just – it was bad all around. Yeah. The interception he missed, uh, Dante Pettis, who was wide open, going towards the end zone. It just – you know, it's just – yeah. I mean – and, you know, Ace Daddy brings up just because you you can, you know, you draft a guy doesn't mean that you necessarily have to get rid of Garoppolo. You can keep him for one more year to let the guy sit. But because his cap number shrinks even further in that fifth year, it's only like a one point six million hit. So, you know, the problem is you run up with, uh, you know, the, the vets that you need to resign. And, you know, we'll get to people that need to get gone because. I think I'm going to have to throw Eric Armstead up on that list because he's just been disappointing. And it's just, you know, it, we all knew that last year was an outlier year. I tried to say it so many times that Buckner was the better person. And, you know, so there's a lot of guys that are not going to be here next year. And, you know, it's going to be a very big transition. So I, I think everybody better buckle up because this window closed like like that. It's It's closed. Yeah, it was quick, man. It's unfortunate, but I think that's where the 49ers are as a team. I think that they got lucky. A lot of things went their way last season. A lot of performances, you know, that they got guys playing as well as they've ever played. And then now it's like, well, it's not happening. You're not getting the lucky calls. You're not getting the lucky bounces of the ball. And you're getting injured like crazy. And that's why I had to throw on the rehab tour shirt because – 
Jimmy, George, even Fred was hurt at one point. Tevin Coleman left the game. I mean, it was just – it was ridiculous. So, I mean, it's unfortunate, but that's where the 49ers are right now, and we're talking draft November 1st. So, it, it sucks. But, um, Anthony, do you think that there's any chance they can even salvage the season and make a wild card spot? Or do you think that at this point you'd rather them just kind of get as early of a pick as possible? You know, Matt talked about it best with such a deep quarterback class. I think if the Niners were to finish 8-8 eight and eight and not necessarily tank but still attempt to compete, I think they are still in a possible position to address quarterback. And look, I think I agree with Matt when I say that Garoppolo is not the answer at this point. He cannot elevate his play when everything around him breaks down. Obviously, Nick Mullins can be serviceable, and I think that's what Mullins is. I think Mullins is a great serviceable back, but noodle arm Nick is not the future. I'm sorry. He can have one or two good spot starts, but he's not mm-hmm. the guy who is electrifying. He's not the guy who's going to go out there and single-handedly win you a ball game. He can put up nice stats like he did against Seattle when the game is out of reach and it doesn't matter. But God forbid you put Mullins up against Philadelphia and a good defensive line, and that's it for the game. So, Zach and Matt, I agree. If they do finish 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9, and nine, whatever it may be, if they're picking in the 15-16 to 16 range, I don't think quarterback is out of the question at all. Matt said it best. Yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo's contract is very expendable after this year. And look, Garoppolo is still being paid like a top 10 quarterback, and he's not even playing like a top 25 quarterback in my opinion. So, And quarterback is arguably the most important position to improve on this team. And you can argue any other spot because everything else, like cornerback, interior offensive line looks just as bad but you need someone to lead the offense and quarterback is the problem. There is a quarterback controversy in terms of efficient quarterback play. And if this type of game continues, not just from Garoppolo, but even from Mullins, if Mullins plays on Thursday and he looks like he did against Philly, then quarterback should be the solution next, uh, this coming draft. So yeah, it, it's gotta be, it's, that, that has to be on their picture. That has to be in their mindset that quarterback needs to be the play. Yeah. RW is trying to get banned over here. <laughs> I was waiting for that response. Cousins is stinky. No, and here's the problem, and and I know that Semper Fi coach brought it up about the ankle. I think that they haven't been looking at quarterback because Jimmy took him to a Super Bowl last year and because he's had the injury. But when you look at the types of throws that he's making and the decisions that he's making and the ball placement, he was doing it last year too. So I don't want to put that on the injury because we know what his ball placement is. It's erratic. It's all over the place. A lot of times his playmakers have bailed him out by making good catches. And, you know, it's one of those things where just again, again, this was a stark reminder of even when Mullins was in the game, Mullins ball placement is better than Jimmy Garoppolo's. Right. You know, it it, it just is. His ball is prettier. You know, Jimmy's throwing wounded ducks, man. It looks terrible. And then, you know, not even to mention the fact that you look across the way and you see Russell Wilson, who's just, I mean, he almost never throws an inaccurate pass. His ball is always on target, and you don't necessarily have to be that. But when you're saying, like, when the Jimmy throw is baked into the game, and we talk about it all the time, he's going to have one or two Jimmy throws a game, you shouldn't have to bake those into the game. You know, it, it, he's – every game you can, you know, put him up for an interception. Every single game he's going to have one. He's going to have a throw that you need him to make that he doesn't make. And so – at this point, the excuses are done. Yeah, yeah, we went to a Super Bowl with him last year, but I think a lot of that was from the running game and from the defense, and he's limited. And if everything, like we see this year with injuries, isn't working out the way that it's supposed to, like Anthony said, he cannot raise the level of the team and the level of play of the team 
unless everything is going right. And that's not the type of quarterback that you need, especially when we have good players coming up with contracts. You're better off drafting a guy with a rookie contract and trying to build around that guy immediately by being able to assign free agents and, you know, bring in other guys, extend people like Fred Warner, who's doing extension. You know, it's, it's one of those. And I've tried to defend Jimmy as much as anybody, but I, I just can't anymore. It's just simply not good enough and it's not going to get us anywhere. So, you know, if before today the regime wasn't seriously looking at some of these quarterback prospects, they definitely will be now. And I know that college is kind of on like a lottery system where you kind of draw the game you get to go to. Maybe I uh, talk to whoever's in charge of that and say, hey, we need to get down and see a quarterback. So, <laughs> Yeah, I saw John Middlecoff. I don't know if he was joking or not, but he tweeted out that the 49ers were scouting quarterbacks today or yesterday. And uh, if so, great. They should be because after those last couple of performances by Jimmy, even when he's good, it's not great. It, it's like they're winning right. in spite of Jimmy Garoppolo, not because of Jimmy uh, well, Garoppolo. I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that. And, you know, I see Simplify there. It's not all the run game or all the defense either. There are times when he plays absolutely brilliantly, and that's what makes it so frustrating. If he was just consistently, like, dog crap, then we wouldn't care, right? We'd be like, on to the next but he tantalizes us with such good play and it's so inconsistent that it's, it becomes frustrating. It's an exercise in frustration. It's like, are we getting good Jimmy or bad Jimmy today? And that actually changes on a series to series throw to throw basis, whether you're going to get the good Jimmy Garoppolo or the bad. And at this point, that inconsistency is not going to get it done. I would rather have a consistent quarterback with a lower ceiling, someone who's again, like an Alex Smith game manager type who you always know is going to at least, you know, Keep, keep the ball like Derek Carr is a perfect example doesn't turn the ball over a ton but also doesn't make a ton of splash plays for this team in particular and Kyle Shanahan's offense that's almost better than having that boomer bust potential so you know it, it, it's not good enough plain and simple I don't think anybody can objectively look at Jimmy Garoppolo and say that it's good enough no not at all Anthony question here do the 49ers win if Mullins comes in earlier ah uh, man you know I I think I would much rather go on the safe side and say that the game would be a lot more competitive if Mullins came in earlier. And look, Matt Matt will say the same thing that I'm going to say, but Mullins can read and progress through a field. I think I can put Mullins in the game manager category in the sense that Mullins won't make splashy plays. And yeah, he has dumb throws, but I mean, it's Nick Mullins, but his ceiling well, isn't. He had a couple today. <laughs> well, I, I still feel like at this point in the season, especially if Garoppolo came into this game healthy, which all reports indicated that he was, and we saw from Nick Mullins, like even against the prevent defense, so quote unquote, versus Garoppolo, who was healthy, Mullins right now just feels like the better quarterback, even if Garoppolo was healthy or even if his ankle wasn't fully healthy. I, even, I disagree, actually. Hold on. I want to hear yeah. it, but let me finish. So I just I just want to say that I think that Mullins, Mullins just has proven he can execute the offense better, and it feels like that his throws and the type of player he is won't necessarily put the team in bad of a position as Garoppolo does compared to Garoppolo throwing. Garoppolo's highs are really high when he throws the ball, and I think we all can admit that. But when Garoppolo is really low, like Matt brings up those inconsistencies, he costs the team victories. And it happens with interceptions today. It happens with taking sacks. It happens when you just can't necessarily move within the pocket. And I feel like at least when you have someone like Nick Mullins, who, albeit does not have the arm talent Garoppolo does, it just feels like Mullins is a little more secure as a quarterback compared to Garoppolo. 
Sure. I just think it gets lost in the shuffle and people are going to look at the stat line and be like, you know, and I was kind of like it too, but like more in a tongue in cheek way where you say Nick Mullins performance today kind of buries Jimmy. But at the same time, Seattle was playing prevent. They were playing, don't give up anything deep, let them cut you underneath. And so of course Mullins is going to look pretty good by comparison. He was able to drive him down the field. And let's not also forget that, you know, in spite of what Jimmy Garoppolo did, uh, the Seattle defense is historically bad. So the fact that Mullins was able to move the ball is not all that surprising. It was actually more surprising that Jimmy couldn't. And I think that that's kind of damning on, on Jimmy's behalf, but I would say don't pull a lot out of garbage time number. I mean, we all know Kirk cousins is the king of garbage time numbers. And so while you can say like, Oh, you know, maybe Mullins does. The only thing I think Nick Mullins does better than Jimmy Garoppolo is ball placement. And that's it. I don't think he's a significantly better decision maker um, I don't think that he necessarily reads the field better. I don't think he's necessarily better under pressure. I think that, you know, it is what it is with Nick Mullins. And again, we saw it earlier. We had the really, really good game against the Giants, right? And then went, went out and laid an egg against Philly. And that bears out with the eight starts that he had uh, when Jimmy Garoppolo was out. He's very up and down, very inconsistent. And he's obviously not going to be the answer. I mean, we talked about after that Philly game how he's, he sucks and he does suck. So it's just, you know, he sucked a little less today than he normally would because Seattle's defense is terrible. So and and they were trying to get off the field. You know what I mean? It's just like, all right, let's go home. We won this game. It's fine. So, yeah, I I, they definitely need to take a look at quarterbacks, though. Uh, They they have a problem. I, I think that's what was most surprising to me is how little they were able to do against the Seahawks defense. I mean, through the first half, they managed one drive for, for seven points. I let went for seven points. Everything else was, you know, interception, uh, field, or excuse me, punt, and it just three and outs left and right. They couldn't do anything. And we said it in the chat, the first two drives, they let go by them. They could have easily have put up 14, 10, six points in those first two drives. They put up zero points, and their defense came out hot, stopped the Seahawks on their first two drives. They let those go right by them. And then what happens? Seahawks come back score a touchdown at one point it was a seven to six game and then after that they just never looked back the Seahawks just completely took over this game and it started with Jimmy Garoppolo's interception the momentum shifted yep. and the 49ers never got back I want to attest that I don't even think it was the interception I think it was that wildcat play Shanahan called for That's whatever cool. reason he called that play it just I don't know you stop, you stop Seattle on you go three and out versus Seattle which by all means who came in as the number one offense, by the way, You go, they go three and out on their first drive. It gives you all the momentum to crash them down and just beat them down instantly. And then it's third and nine or whatever at midfield, and you run a wildcat that ended miserably. That was the story last season, too, is that any time at all Kyle Shanahan even attempted to get cute and get fancy with his plays, they never worked out. I don't think we ever even saw one play of not even wildcat, just some kind of stupid nature work out for Kyle Shanahan. And look, when this is a huge game that doesn't just have implications for the NFC West, but it has future implications in terms of NFC seeding when the playoffs roll around, this is one of those games that mattered the most. And Shanahan, of all people, could not afford to run that whatever that play was. And I think yeah. I, I personally think that really set the tone for just kind of the downfall of the team's overall play. Yep. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that. And if he wants to run Wildcat, I mean, I'm not opposed to him running Wildcat. But the problem is when you line Jimmy Garoppolo out out wide, everybody knows that he's not doing anything. So essentially now you're playing 11 on 10 and you know it's going to be a handoff. And that just kind of like 
kills any type of you know they it's not like the browns right where they will they'll run a wildcat or whatever with jarvis landry and he'll throw the he'll actually throw the ball right every time wildcat happens you know that it's an rpo run that's it's that's it it's just it's it's essentially just an option play and that doesn't get it done there's a reason why when miami was doing that it it faded real quick because it's super easy to defend unless you have the right personnel out there and yeah that definitely was one of those plays the other one was that that crappy well, they rolled Jimmy out the, to the right the screen, side, and he threw right, the a screen, screen back yeah, to the, the Trent left. Taylor. To Trent Taylor. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. It, it made absolutely no sense. Back, but um, yeah, it, it didn't make any sense, and it was one of those things where it was like Kittle was actually open right in front of Jimmy. Yeah, Garoppolo. he was wide open. Yeah, exactly. Wide open. So you know, it it, it just sucks because it's like, man, how much can you actually do? You know? Yeah. Like, how much do you actually need to to? to scheme this stuff so cutely. Um, and But I think part of that too is that Jimmy is so inconsistent that you have to almost scheme around him. Right. And that's where I right. go with like why they need a new quarterback. Cause you know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing too, is that when Garoppolo is hitting on all cylinders and he's executing with this offense, it looks really good. But you can say that about any say average quarterback where if you put them in with a good offense and with a good play caller, of course it's going to look good. But again, yeah. we brought it up both earlier that if the play breaks down and there's nothing there, Garoppolo can't extend. He doesn't necessarily have that ability. And it feels like with him, it's just one in a million and he just that, that's kind of what kills this offense, I think, is that no one can really extend. And then you feel like that Shanahan tries to overcompensate for missing someone like Debo or having a bad offensive line or even when Garoppolo plays that Shanahan just gets in his own head and everything just gets all crossed and mixed up. And I think that's what yeah. happens when everything on the offense just falls apart altogether. Yeah, I think he would like a quarterback that, you know, in a vein, not like saying Jared Goff in particular, but like Jared Goff is super successful when you roll him out and right. you do throws that way. I can't remember the last time I saw Jimmy Garoppolo throw like a one-legged pass like on the run. He doesn't do it. He'll stop no. and set his feet and then throw. And a lot of times he gets freaking clobbered. And it's just like <laughs> that. I mean, he's so before the knee injury, right? It was like well, he's not super athletic, but he seems kind of athletic. Now he just seems almost Philip Rivers style, like baby giraffe running. No athleticism <laughs> whatsoever. It looks bad. And I just yeah. don't understand. They need something different. And that's why, you know, part of me thinks they're going to try to recycle somebody like a Sam Darnold or somebody like that. And I kind of hope they don't. I'd rather have a fresh start. But, right. you know, a Sam Darnold is a guy that's like at least has some mobility. And, yeah. you know, I think I want to go ahead. Yeah. It's just, I think I'm getting to the point where I think that. Again, Kyle Shanahan needs to get off his ego trip because I think I think that he feels like he doesn't need a really good quarterback to succeed. And that's right. gonna it's just like the thing is maybe you don't need one to succeed, but if you have the opportunity to go get one, like why wouldn't you? Like exactly. just make your life easier. And it's almost like he wants to swim upstream for no reason. And it's like, dude, just draft the quarterback early, yep. you know, and just do it. Just like just get a good guy in there that matches the stuff that you like. You know, I don't want to hear this. Oh, we didn't even take a look at Mahomes or Watson. Like, why not? Right. (laughs) Yeah. You You can't afford to do this anymore. No, not at this point in time in time. And that's another thing, too, is that you look at guys like Justin Herbert and um, 
Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. And it's not even that their arms are big. It's just that these guys are natural athletes. When you watch Jimmy Garoppolo go out there and play, he doesn't feel like an athlete who, again, can extend and move. Like Matt said, I don't remember if I've honestly ever really seen Jimmy Garoppolo throw on the run or throw off one foot. And it doesn't. it's not that he's not that kind of quarterback. It's just that I don't know if he can actually physically do that. And that's one thing right. where – where he, Jimmy Garoppolo, really limits Kyle Shanahan and limits the offense so much. But again, like Matt says, when you have a quarterback who has executed and who can be middle of the line but get the job done, I think in Kyle Shanahan's head that reinforces his own idea that he doesn't need a superstar. He doesn't need that kind of guy to just execute and do what he needs to do. And again, that's I think that's an entire ego trip where it's like, look, Okay, so if I'm Kyle Shanahan and I know my offensive genius where I know I can scheme almost every other play open, scripted or not, and make it as easy for my quarterback as possible, that's going to make me think, okay, I don't need to go out and get that quarterback. I don't need to go out and get the guy. I just need to go out there and get a body who can just do what I tell him to do, do what everything I can scheme open and that's that's pretty much all it is. And I think that's what goes into, like Matt says, um, Kyle Shanahan's ego trip. Yeah, and it's, you know, again, we're kind of seeing the fruits of that ego trip right now where it's like, well, yeah, you can scheme anybody open, but it's looking like you can't just put a body back there. Right. Again, if you have a guy like, you know, Patrick Mahomes or whatever, like, do you think that that Andy Reid, like, is a genius without Patrick Mahomes? Of course he is. But Patrick Mahomes makes his life so much easier. I mean, you see it. He had like an underhanded touchdown pass to Kelsey today, which, yeah. by the way, I think I think aren't you and I playing in fantasy? Because I think I'm smoking you, bro. Yeah, I just got the notification. <laughs> You're beating me 147 to 83. <laughs> yeah. Still leading the division. So that's OK. I'll take that much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it's one of those like just make your life easier. You know, we're right. talking about the offensive line not being good. Having a quarterback that can make plays and, and roll out and do that stuff kind of hides bad o-line play you see it with a lot of these guys and i mean russell wilson is a perfect example of somebody who can extend plays despite seattle putting zero effort into shoring up that offensive line i mean they've done less than nothing but he you know he's still able to move enough that you know he can get out there and make plays and jimmy garoppolo does not allow us to do that you know it's when when tomlinson whiffs or you know, Grasso gets the wrong assignment or even, you know, the occasion where Trent Williams gets beat, Jimmy Garoppolo is a sitting duck and he's going to, I mean, you see it, he flinches on the ball. He just like holds the ball and then expects to get hit. And right. Rather than looking to step up or move uh, side to side and, you know, make a play. And we just, it's again, it's to the point where it's a detriment to the team to run the team like this with Jimmy Garoppolo and even Nick Mullins to that extent, um, because, you're not going to get any extension or off script plays or any good things happening. You just either the scheme, the design of that play works or it doesn't. There's only two outcomes, right? It's either Kyle schemes it open and they have just enough time to get it off or they don't. And and that's it. There's no off script plays. There's no improvisation. There's no playmaking. You take, you take a huge part of great offenses and all the great offenses have the ability to do things that aren't exactly planned and you take that off the table. 
Right. And again, it's all about extending plays. And when you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, Matt, and I think a lot of people talked about this last season and part of this season, but it was all about Jimmy Garoppolo's release, his release, his release, his release. He was getting the ball off in less than two and a half seconds. He was hitting timing throws, everything that was a rhythm throw. But Jimmy Garoppolo never necessarily stepped into throws and really put any mustard on the ball. It was all, even for last season, I felt like Jimmy Garoppolo never had that true punch to his ball it was just kind of floaters or nice you know nice something straight lines tight spirals but nothing major and when you have a quarterback who already can't extend the play you already have someone who can't really move the least you can expect him to do is get something on the ball and it's like regardless of Jimmy Garoppolo's ankle injury he cannot push the ball down the field he is not an effective quarterback who can make plays on all levels of the field. This happened last season. If right. Jimmy Garoppolo, if Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't hitting a deep ball last season, the only reason he hit it was because it was schemed open. And I'll tell you right now, the only deep ball off the top of my head I can remember Garoppolo hitting that wasn't wide open was the touchdown that Debo caught on Marcus Peters against the Ravens. Other than that, you don't necessarily yeah. see Jimmy Garoppolo hit anything deep, and that's just the problem. I mean, he had that sexy deep ball to Kittle in the Super Bowl that got called back for a BS. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but other than that, it's like, okay, um, you know, uh, what was it? Marquise Goodwin in the Cincinnati game, wide open, right? And Jimmy still underthrew that ball by like 10 yards. Yeah. Like Marquise stopped and waited for it. You know, (laughs) yeah, he's not a good deep ball thrower. His ball comes out weird. I'd like to see – I haven't seen it, but I'd like to see how he actually grips the football because that thing comes up like a wobbling duck. He yeah. does not have a good spiral. No, uh, not at all. No. And like Schlera said today on the broadcast, Jimmy's one of the best spinners of the football. And I'm like, who the hell have you been what watching? What are you talking you? about, like, dude? Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm like, he's <laughs> one of the worst. I've never seen consistently – like as bad wobbling ducks, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. For I mean – for as bad as I thought that that Colin Kaepernick was at time, that dude had some RPM on his football. That oh dude could throw yeah. a spiral. Yeah. Right? Like, it's – I don't know, man. And that's the trend you see in quarterbacks who are also pitchers or shortstops in college where, it's like, Russell Wilson played baseball, Mahomes played baseball, and obviously Kaepernick played baseball. And I think they all have that tight spiral in common. But regardless of that entire thing, the bottom line is that I think we can – safely assume that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't necessarily a good quarterback. And again, he stepped up when he's had to, like he did last year. And when the team went through that entire stretch where Kittle was out, um, they were missing players on defense. And really it was just Garoppolo gunslinging against Arizona, against New Orleans, against the Rams. He executed. And I think a lot of that is what goes into why Shanahan doesn't want to try and elevate and get better at the quarterback position because he sees all that success and you figure, well, I still have the same guy. I can get that much more out of him. And it just feels yeah. like that Shanahan. I, I think, I think Shanahan is, um, I think he's really capped Garoppolo's ceiling in the sense that Garoppolo can only execute so much and he can only do so much as a quarterback. And, and that's just where we're at with him, man. I honestly, this season, I don't expect Garoppolo to play any better. I should certainly expect him to play much worse if he comes back and plays again. But yeah. the bottom line here is that I don't foresee uh, any more of a big season from Garoppolo. And you said this earlier, Matt, he went up against the worst pass defense in all of football, which was giving up 398 passing yards per game, almost 400 yep. yards per game. And Garoppolo yep. couldn't even hit a hundred as far as I remember off the top of my head. So no, it was like seven to 15 for like 78 yeah. yards. It was and the INT. Yeah. Right. And the bottom line is that he went up against a terrible unit and he couldn't execute ankle injury or not. You want to see your quarterback at least step up and at least look decent. And we didn't see that at all. 
Yeah, and you know, Semperfy says it that he doesn't think a rookie QB would be the answer. Yeah, I mean, d- listen, you're talking about a dead year where he's going to have to like, pl- and I wouldn't even sit him behind Mullins or Beathard. I'd play him like right away, get him used to the scheme, so that in year two, hopefully, he takes that step forward. The 49ers have enough talent to you know kind of hide some of the rookie stuff going on, um, but you have to like find out what you have. And the thing about the rookie quarterback is you're looking on, you're working with a, a rookie QB scale as far as pay. Um, and that allows you to fill in the team around him. And that's why you see a lot of these teams, once the quarterback gets extended, a lot of times the window kind of closes up because, you know, you're dedicating so much money to the quarterback. And, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't allow for a lot of, you know, your good players you have to let go because you're paying the quarterback or you can't bring in this you know, veteran or whatever because of the quarterback or whatever. It was kind of like when we were looking at a – was it Ziggy Ansa or who was the other guy that we were looking at? Uh, he signed when, somewhere else. When we were looking for defensive ends at the time? Yeah. Oh, it was Ansa yeah. or it wasn't Jordan. It was um, – oh, I can't think of the name. It was another bottom-tier pass rusher at this point, though. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, I mean, you know – I don't know. It's it's one of those things where if you're looking at a guy and you can't you can't even afford a guy, right? Or they had to restructure somebody to do the Jordan Willis trade because they were out of money essentially. You know, they yeah. had to, I think they restructured Lake and Tomlinson or somebody like that. Yeah. But it's like you can't be that up against the cap because you're paying the quarterback right now. And the rookie is gonna make way less than Jimmy does, you know. At least Correct. Yeah. again, a first round guy, you got him for five years. Yep. So, you know, at least you can compete there, but you gotta do something because this Jimmy thing is not working. No. Obviously, Mullins and CJ aren't the answer. Um, you know, you need a guy that, and it, it could be a problem with Shanahan's scheme. Maybe he doesn't, you know, there, there was a tweet that somebody put in the chat that it's like, you know, I don't think that they're making the type of quarterback that Kyle Shanahan values above all in college yeah. anymore, you know? And it's like, when push comes to shove, is Kyle going to be able to adjust his scheme to the type of right. players that are coming into the NFL now? And you just don't know. And I think right there, the word adjustment is a perfect segue into the defense. Obviously, we felt like the defense, for the most part, gave up 37 points. But a lot of it was them being tired from poor offensive play. But one thing I kind of want to bring up is DK Metcalf, Matt. DK Metcalf just absolutely torched the secondary all all afternoon. So I want to bring this up. This Robert Sala in week one against Arizona, when we played DeAndre Hopkins, didn't necessarily make adjustments to slow him down. And I felt like that was the case today against DK Metcalf also. Although DK Metcalf blew up, it felt like the rest of the defense executed pretty well, I'd say. So do you feel like that even if Sala were to make those adjustments against DK Metcalf and even with the bad offensive play, do you feel like this team still would have had at least somewhat of a chance to at least compete with Seattle? I, I thought that the first couple drives, Sala did a really good job of like blitzing and changing up a lot of what he does. And I'm like, oh, maybe he's growing. But then the same Sala problem that we've seen over and over and over again reared its ugly head where when the offense adjusts, he doesn't adjust in return. And the fact that, you know, the first couple drives, DK Metcalf was, you know, looking like we had him. And after that, he just started just feasting on our guys. I mean, it wasn't even, it, it looked embarrassing. It's like yeah. that. Uh, have you seen the high school videos of Derrick Henry? Yeah. Running the ball? <laughs> yeah. Little kids? That's what it looked like. And it was, it was terrible. It was right. terrible. And you know, the, there's a lot of issues with this defense that I think have to be 
attributed to coaching, not just because the offense is ineffective and they get tired. Uh, the, the main example for me is when Jimmy Ward was shit talking DK Metcalf after DK Metcalf had already like torched the defense for over a hundred yards and two touchdowns. And they're down by like 20 points. It's like, shut up, dude. Like that's right. a lack of discipline. And that reflects on Robert Sala's coaching. They shouldn't be out there talking crap when they're down like that. That's not good. Not good. And again, it's another game where Sala didn't adjust. They adjusted to his blitzes. He kept running them anyway. They were picking up the blitzes and Russ was able to just carve them up. You know, yep. it's like there's no <laughs> we're running out of excuses for him. It's super frustrating. Yeah. Where you're just like, we have the talent on the defense. You can see it. They fly to the ball. Again, I thought Dre Greenlaw did another great job today. I mean, he was flying around. He doesn't miss tackles. They're very fundamentally sound as far as tackles go. Um, but, you know, when you can't, and it hurts that we don't have our top two edge rushers. Well, really top one, because Ford hasn't really done anything here. But, you know, <laughs> and that, that right. kind of sucks. But again, if you think that Russell Wilson is going to kill you as far as like, in the passing game because they had no running game, then you need to play against the pass. And if you, they're picking up your blitzes, stop blitzing for a little bit, you know, fake a blitz and drop a guy back in coverage. And they weren't, they weren't making the necessary adjustments and it just became so easy for the Seahawks. So I, I, Sala, I don't know, man. I don't know. I gave him props at the beginning of the game because I thought what he was doing looked good, but then he just never adjusted after they figured it out. Yeah, and you actually brought up something pretty good about Jimmy Ward talking a lot of trash to DK after DK was already blowing it up. A similar situation happened when the Niners were playing the Dolphins a few weeks ago, and Quallen Alexander had like a TFL or something like that, and he was just talking mad smack to the Dolphins. Yeah. yeah, and they were down by 20 at that point. And you got to figure that I don't know if – I agree with you that's a coaching thing, but I don't know. It makes me wonder if – are these guys really taking this entire thing seriously? And the whole offseason and the whole point of the season was, oh, hot boys. Now it's, oh, Mark Schlereth on the broadcast sure. saying that okay. Shanahan is calling Harris and the safety is a goon squad. And it's like, okay, you can give them all these damn names you want, but when the time comes yep. and crunch time comes for them to execute, they're not getting the job done. Uh, so I will, I will say Warner and Greenlaw will, so I don't want to exclude them. But the unit as a whole, when they're going out there and just not even having fun, but just going out there and talking all the trash, it's like, well, you guys got to go out there and execute and get the job done first, and they're not doing that. And I agree with you. I think a lot of that shows in Robert Sala and Robert Sala's coaching ways. Sala has proved he can adjust and coach at times. We saw it in the last two games against the Rams and the uh, Patriots, but we didn't see those adjustments at all against Seattle. And in a sense, it feels like that – Robert Sala has his own version of his ego trip where it's like, okay, I'm just going to keep blitz and I'm just going to keep doing the same thing over and over until it eventually works. And the problem is that it didn't work at all. Once the Seahawks adjusted, started picking up blitz and Russell Wilson basically called game. Yeah. But I think that's the difference though. Right. So for whatever reason, I think that that Sala does very well against Sean McVay. And I think that's because Kyle has an insight to Sean McVay. And then the new, the New England game was simply because Cam Newton sucks. So, <laughs> Don't let Scott hear that. <laughs> just plain and simple. Cam Newton sucks. I mean, even Scott would tell you Cam Newton sucks at this point. He's not. He's not. That twenty. That twenty fifteen MVP is not coming back. That guy's gone. He's that's, no. That's it. But you know, it's again, there is a problem with Salah's adjustments, and we've said it time and time and time again. It reared its ugly head in the Super Bowl, right? They figured out something. And Robert Sala had no counterattack for it. He had nothing, you know. And there are too many um, lapses in concentration that you would like to see. 
it's not a difficult scheme. Like the scheme itself is uh, from everything that people have said and players have said, it's a really easy scheme to execute. And yet there's still these boneheaded mistakes. And that again goes to coaching at some point. Saul is going to have to take a look in the mirror and say, you know what? It's something that I'm doing. Same thing with Kyle in the offense when he calls some of these ridiculous plays that just don't do anything. Or, you know, he gets into the, you know, uh, Jimmy threw an interception. So now what are we going to do? We're going to run it 14 times in a row. You know, everybody knows that you're going to run it 14 times in a row. You know, it's just they, they fall into their patterns and it's it leads to bad outcomes. Um, right. Yeah, it's it's not good. And, you know, the coaches have to make adjustments. And a lot of this is on them, too. Although I think uh, I think I think most of it's on Jimmy because he's not. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm so upset yeah. about the, the quarterback situation. It's not good. Yeah, it, it's really bad. And I think I, I kind of do want to talk about that a little more, Matt. It's like Jimmy Garoppolo just looks awful, man. He looks absolutely awful. And I don't I'm honestly tired of hearing about the ankle injuries. It's like you have a quarterback who's making top 10 money and you can use that as an excuse all you want the injury. I mean, but the bottom line is that he has proven that he can't elevate his play injured with a bad offensive line, maybe with guys dropping the ball here or there and whatever it may be. And it just feels like that Jimmy Garoppolo just becomes a shell of himself and just shuts everything out and just gives up. And obviously he's not going to show that he gives up, but when you watch him, I mean, he still does that stupid thing where he feels the pressure and he does that spin move. That's like literally his go-to when pressure comes from behind or in front of him. And he just hits that spin move and he can't gather himself. And that's either a fumble or a sack. And, and it's like, we have Garoppolo who just who himself feels like he can't make any adjustments where it's like if they're constantly sending pressure on third down like Seattle was they were literally blitzing almost every other play on third down Garoppolo himself yeah. wasn't adjusting and he wasn't finding himself the time to get the ball off fast because he was too busy worried about pressure and I think a lot of that is reflective on just how he is and who he is as a quarterback and what his play is as a whole and I gotta ask yeah. you Matt even with the injury going on do you feel like do you, God, I don't want to word this badly, but do you feel like we've already seen the best of Garoppolo? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because if, if everybody remembers, so he had a lot of these throws last year, right. And a lot of these bad plays, the thing last year that was an outlier was, and we all heard it throughout the season, right? Jimmy Garoppolo's QB rating after an interception is this astronomically good number that of course, wasn't going to hold up. And now that he's falling back to the median after interceptions and turnovers, you still have those turnovers he's making, but then you don't have the excellent play afterwards to make up for it. And so he's actually getting worse, in my opinion. I think he's he's tapped as far as his potential, and he is what he is at this point. You know, We know what Kirk Cousins is, right? And it's not anything that we're super excited about. And I think we're to the point where, you know, it's it's we're not going to be excited about Jimmy Garoppolo. And people can say the ankle injury all they want, but that doesn't, again... I've sprained my ankles a bunch of times. It doesn't make me do stupid shit. So, you know, it, it, again, that throw to Kittle was just late and it was behind and it was just a bad throw. You know, he sailed balls uh, out of the out of the flats or whatever that have nothing to do with ankle or pushing off. I could say, okay, he can't run. Okay, he can't throw a deep ball. You're telling me that he can't hit a slant on time? Like, then what are you doing in the game? Right. If you can't do that, what are you doing in the game? You know, so at that point, it's like, He's making similar decisions than when he was healthy. So the ankle to me, that's that doesn't fly as far as an excuse. And I think he's gotten a lot of excuses. Oh, well, he's only played 
this many starts. Um, oh, he he's coming back from an ACL. Oh, it's this excuse. Oh, it's that excuse. And at some point, you just got to realize, well, he is what he is, regardless of the situation. This is who he is. So I yeah, I just don't think that uh, I don't I don't think that he's he's the guy. And I think they need to move on in a different direction. Like I, I mean, it's pretty clear, right? And you know what kind of gets me too is that Seattle was coming into this game just as banged up as we are, and they don't have all the IR guys we do. But I mean, when you have no Shaq Griffin, when you have no Jamal Adams, when you have no Ugo Amadi, who's their nickelback and also their free safety, they're missing all these guys on the defense. And the door was wide open for the 49ers to go out there and just run the ball down their throats and just slam it home. And it feels like that Garoppolo throughout his time playing in this game just played scared. He played like he was going to get hit. He played like nothing was there. And when something was there, it felt like the ball just barely like that's the thing that kind of baffles me about Garoppolo is that when Garoppolo is throwing to a guy that's wide open, it feels like he's trying to throw in a tight window. It feels like that Mm -hmm. everything is just so exaggerated when Garoppolo is throwing that I don't know if he's just overcompensating for something I don't know if it's just him not believing in himself or his receivers or whatever it may be but the bottom line is that Jimmy Garoppolo I just feel like just always plays like he's pressured and we saw that last week too or not last week but the week before where even if Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't pressured it still felt like he was panicking and just trying to read and find something quickly and he he hit one throw in particular today where uh god where were they I think it was midfield and it was like second and 10 or something. Jimmy, like Jimmy Garoppolo literally hit his check down to Jack McKinnon, just like that. Like he didn't even read the field. He didn't do anything. It was just instantly yeah. McKinnon and McKinnon got tackled for yep. two yards. And it's stuff like that. That makes me think like, where, where is Jimmy Garoppolo's confidence? Because he's not playing with any, in my opinion, and he hasn't shown yeah. it at all. Yeah. And then you'll see the the throw, like he hit Kendrick Bourne on like a third and eight at the sticks, perfectly on target. And you're just like, why can't you do that all the time? <laughs> right why can't you yeah. do that all the time or that or that out route to kid or uh use check or whatever yeah that, yeah like, that was- it's like that's the place where you have to throw that ball and it's just like yeah. why can't you do that all the time and then you throw the slant to kittle that's so far behind him that it's like an easy pick it's just so bafflingly inconsistent that it's yeah. just like i don't know if it's I, a lot of it's mechanics i hate his mechanics i think his feet are terrible but <laughs> you know it's just you can't have it. You can't have it. Regardless of what anybody thinks of Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't think anybody can look at it at the quarterback play, hurt or not, and say, yep, that's good enough, because it's not. So, you know, as as they say in my favorite movie, Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying, and the 49ers are dying right now with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. They need to make a change. Yeah, man, you said it earlier. It already feels like that window is shut. Even if the team can somehow miraculously finish in the last wild card spot or second to last, it doesn't feel like the team has any oomph or any firepower to really just go out there and want it. And we're going to hear about it all week from the players on social media about how we're ready to come back strong. We're ready to play hard. We're ready to do this and do that. And it's just you don't get that vibe from this team like you do last year where it doesn't feel like there's any cohesiveness. It doesn't feel like everyone is just tight. It feels like a lot of people are miscommunicating. It feels like a lot of people throughout the team are just not there altogether. It doesn't, it doesn't really feel like a team, Matt. And I think that's just a lot of that is just predicated on the start of the season when they lost Nick Bosa and it felt like everything from there just like instantly lost hope. And that was like, it just felt like from the, it's just even after some victories, it just felt like the whole season was a wash. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, 
I want to talk about something yeah. a little pot. I want to talk about something a little positive though, because it has been the negative okay. show, man. I loved Brandon Ayuk today. I really thought Brandon Ayuk solidified himself as the guy. I know Debo Samuel wasn't there, and I know Ayuk was catching from both Mullins and Garoppolo, but it felt like mm-hmm. just throughout the game, Ayuk was getting separation. It felt like he was just contesting every ball that was thrown towards him. And I think I feel like that the Niners might have finally found their successful first round wide receiver. And it feels like they finally found a guy who can really be a very good compliment. Yeah, he's looking like so Kyle was saying like he thought Ayuk was the best receiver in the draft. And I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to argue. He's been very productive so far. Um, I think today was one of his better games that he's had. Um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Actually, I should pull those up real quick for the Um, game today. Yeah. Eight catches, 91 yards, um, one touchdown on 11 targets. His long today was 33. Yeah, okay. So he had another good game because he had that, he had a huge game against New England last week. Correct. And, you know, so, I mean, he looks good. He looks good. 11.4 yards per reception. Um, you know, Kendrick Bourne got involved today, which was nice. But, yeah, I think Ayuk, as far as, like, the first-round guy, is looking, like, super solid. Um, and, and that's like, and you hope that he gets better when he goes along. So he's, he's 28 catches, 371 yards and two touchdowns so far. I think that he can get even better than that. Of course he missed that the first game. And then he was kind of like working himself back into the lineup. I think that the second half of the season, just like we saw with Debo last year, it's going to be an explosion. And then if Debo can get back and stay healthy, that'll allow him, uh, That'll allow him to really kind of come into his own as he's facing less pressure from the defense. Because right now, I mean, why wouldn't you key on Brandon Ayuk if you think he's the best 49ers receiver outside of George Kittle? You know, so. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like Ayuk is definitely trending in the right direction. I mean, he's just running really crisp routes. He's contesting every ball that's thrown his way. Other other than that deep ball against New England, that was pretty bad. But but um, yeah, Ayuk looks like he's coming along very nicely. And I gotta ask you, Matt, when you have a play yeah. caller like Shanahan and you have offensive weapons like Debo, like Kittle, and like um, Brandon Ayuk, and even some of the running backs who, although he had a bad day, Hasty still has really good tangibles. Does that give you, at least to some extent, a little hope that whatever quarterback is under center, at least those offensive playmakers can still give the team a chance to win? Or do, or do you feel like with Mullins and Garoppolo at this point, that's pretty much it? No, it, no. Because like the quarterback play right now is going to cut the 49ers' nose off despite its face. You know, you can have good weapons, but if the quarterback's not making good decisions, um, if the quarterback's not getting the ball out on time, who cares about the weapons? You need the quarterback to get them the ball. Um, and you know, speaking of Jamichael Hasty, he played very bad today. I <laughs> had a touchdown. <laughs> it was, I, I know, but it it made me sad. Yeah, um, it, it was I really loved bad. Jamichael Hasty. He wasn't good, but yeah, if if you don't have the quarterback to get people the ball, it doesn't matter how good your playmakers are. Um, and we see that time and time again, where these you know, it's just like I'm frustrated because you know it's. We've seen this before in the NFL countless times where you have all the weapons, but the quarterback sucks. And then your position players get frustrated because quarterback can't get them the ball. And I think we're getting to the point where it's just like, you know, people are going to start getting pissed off. You know, if I'm George Kittle, why am I not pissed? Why wouldn't I get pissed off that the quarterback's playing like crap when I go out there and do everything that I can and bust my ass and give 100% to the team. And it's because the guy can't get you the ball. 
you know? Right. It feels like Dallas, right? I mean, Dallas has uh, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. They have all these guys. They have Zeke. And I know they have a bad offensive line, but the bottom line here is that they have really good weapons and they're, mm-hmm. they're on their third string quarterback. And a lot of people are saying that, oh, even with Andy Dalton, there's still a chance Dallas can compete. And Dalton yeah. looked terrible. And that's no matter with his weapons is that you have a quarterback who's not executing. And I think we can safely compare the two in the sense that if you have two quarterbacks that aren't executing, it's just a wash altogether. And I think a good representation of that is like, like we saw with Dak Prescott. It's like before he got hurt, he was the only reason Dallas was relevant. And I think you can put that to Jimmy Garoppolo in the sense that if Jimmy Garoppolo is playing well, the team has a chance, but God forbid Garoppolo throws interceptions or just make some dumb throws and puts the teams or the team in bad position, you can just pretty much rule them out to win at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, again, it's going to be an indicative uh, moment on Jimmy Garoppolo. If he's not able to, you know, heal up and at least play a little bit better. These people are going to, again, it's going to, it's going to be an ugly situation um, where everybody's frustrated because it's like, we're all here doing what we're supposed to be doing. And, you know, and not everybody. I think the line play has been pretty suspect. And like, I'm not going to dunk on, uh, I'm not going to dunk on Hasty too hard because he's an undrafted rookie. He's still learning the system. And you know, I don't think that he played poorly um, all on his own. I think that the line didn't do him a ton of favors. So right. Um, that being said, it was nice for him to get his first touchdown. Um, Kerry Hyder, I heard his name again. I love that. Yeah. Um, good trade chip. <laughs> No, no, keep him and get rid of Armstead. Get that contract out of here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not, so Armstead's on, on pace to only have three sacks this year. So we're paying that much money for essentially a glorified run stuffer. You yeah. Know? It's bad. Uh, like, it's no, really bad. It's, it's really bad. It's really bad. And that would be able to, you know, allow us to open up and get somebody else. You know, I would, I would try to move Armstead now so that that dead money is off the books next year. And then you can yeah. like resign people or whatever. You know, it's a different situation because he does have a lot of dead money. You got to hope somebody would be willing to take him. And that's really a problem. And again, as I've said multiple times, this isn't really major league baseball and trades aren't super easy to come by. <laughs> right. But, right. You know, you, you would hope that the 49ers can do something or like you maybe convert it to a signing bonus. So it's not a cap hit, you know, have Parag Marate do his like usual wizardry because this team is up against it with free agents. And, you know, people again, I'm loyal to the team. If anybody's not producing, you got to go. That's why we have a problem with Jimmy Garoppolo. That's why we have a problem with how the offensive line's playing. That's why we have a problem with, you know, any number of things, right? Quan Alexander, everybody wants him gone. Everybody wants D Ford gone because they're not doing, they're not doing it. They're not doing it for the 49ers. They got to go. Yeah. um, Yeah. Hyder is a guy that has definitely been doing it and I'd like to see him stick around and they, they should resign him if they could. It definitely would be a nice thing to see if Hyder can stick around for another year. It seems like that Hyder is really playing that that Ronald Blair type role where it's like they can move this guy all over the line, but he's still going to go out and get yeah. the job done. And and you kind of brought it up, though, talking about Garoppolo and just executing, and especially with anyone who has a big contract, Matt. They're, they are coming into next week on short rest going up against Green Bay, who just lost a yep. really ugly game to Minnesota. And right now, based off what you saw, I so so this is kind of a two-parter I'd like you to speculate on. So the first part, where do you think Garoppolo is with the ankle injury based on what we saw when him limping off? And then two, wh- who do you feel is going to start against Green Bay? Um, 
I have a weird suspicion that Jimmy will be good enough to start against Green Bay. I think this was just a situation of like, because we saw him warming up on the sideline, right? And then they were just like, all right, no, we're going to put Mullins in. And I think it was similar to the, to the, uh, what was it, the Dolphins game, where like he right. wasn't playing well and they're like, all right, we're just going to pull you. I think on a short week, and I think it's the same thing with Kittle and the foot injury. Maybe he could have gone, but they wanted to make sure everything was cool and then pulled him back. Hopefully they can go. If not, I think, again, the key to success against Green Bay is the same as it always is, just shove the ball down their throat and keep the ball away from them, um, which I think the 49ers can do even with a suspect uh, offensive line. You know, it, Green Bay has shown no inclination to do well against people who play physical football. So until they prove that they can do that, I'm not super worried about them. But I think, yeah, it, either way, um, I think Jimmy will be in decision. Nick Mullins will probably be the backup. And, you know, come out specifically tomorrow and say he's going to be done. I don't think they have him to really roll through a week and, you know, mess that too much as far as like, oh, we have to wait and see how oh, real quick he's going to be able to go. I kind of think he will go, but, you know, who, who's to say? Maybe Kyle Shanahan's pissed off. You can see. I definitely feel like he needs to put Jimmy Garoppolo in the doghouse at this point, man. Because no, no one is really stepping Speaking up. Speaking of doghouse, I think we have seen the very last of Dante Pettis. <laughs> oh come on, man! He got popped on that kick return. <laughs> he I mean, got isn't, but isn't that a microcosm of his 49ers career? Oh, you're, like, right. you're inactive for two or three weeks or whatever it is. You get in a game for a play, and then all of a sudden you get hurt and fumble the ball away. It's just it, it was so Dante Pettis. It was definitely was Dante like, Pettis right. in the nutshell. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of that? What do you think of that roughing the passer call? Um, the one where Wilson faked the slide. Where, where, yeah, where he faked the slide and Ward hit him. You know, I think it's a good debate. Because here you have in today's NFL where hitting a quarterback who's going down at any time is automatically a 15-yard penalty. But in this case, when you have someone like Russell Wilson, who has throughout the time, these rules have really gotten more strict, just like Patrick Mahomes, just like Wilson, um, even Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers have done it themselves. They will fake the slider. They will do the little where they're running and they kind of – they kind of do the little fake lean and try to get a few more yards. And then once they slide, they draw that contact and it's an instant foul. Mm-hmm. And you know that I'll tell you, it's, I understand why they're trying to enforce these kind of rules. But the thing is, is that if that's a running back, who's making that play and keep in mind when a runner is running the ball, they are considered a running back. They are considered a mm-hmm. ball carrier. And if you had a running back who took that exact same hit where the player couldn't prepare for them to slide, I don't think that flag is thrown. But because it's a quarterback, that flag is going to get thrown every time. And you can't – I don't think it's one of those things where the NFL can just say, okay, you know what, we're going to do away with it. If they slide and get hit, that's not a foul. I don't think they can do that at this point and just mm-hmm. stray away from that. But I think the big problem is is – the referee is not really understanding how to properly enforce that foul. Because again, you got a factor in everything going on. Eric Crocker tweeted out where he said, if he's targeting the quarterback's hip, that's his target space, but you can't play it where the guy is sliding and you're already launching to target at the hip because you're going to hit his head. Defenders can't play that. And there's nothing defenders can do about that. And I think referees don't seem to see it that way. Yeah. I I mean, First of all, a running back wouldn't slide like that. A running back's going to no. like, hit somebody. <laughs> you know, that's part of it. But I yeah. think, I mean, if you want to change the rule to make it safer and so that, you know, you can't, you don't have these type of situations, that last minute slide, it's like 
especially with the fake, right? As soon as Russell Wilson did that like little fake thing, the play should have been blown dead. Yeah. You shouldn't be able to fake a slide and take advantage of the rules like that when you know that, you know what I mean? Yep. It's just, it's one of those, because again, of course the defender is going to try to get low against the ball carrier. Low man wins. You're supposed to get low, you know? And, and so it, they're trying to make a play, but again, if, what if he pulls up, right? What if he pulls up and Russ is like, Oh, he pulled up. I can get by him real quick and get an extra 10 yards. Which happens all the time, especially with Mahomes. That's something they do all the time. All the time. And so, you know, there's, I thought it was, I thought it was a little bit of a, of a BS call. Um, I get what they, again, we all get what they're trying to do with player safety and stuff like that. But the fact that Russell Wilson was, I mean, and Russell Wilson knew it too. He knew that the defender was going to hit him and knew he was going to draw the penalty. And I think that's the type of gamesmanship that the, that the NFL doesn't really need. Um, it's yeah, it's just one of those things where I don't think the NFL really needs it and it shouldn't be a part of it. And I think they need to take a look at that because there are real issues with player safety that we want to look at. Um, I said, this was not the same hit that knocked out Andy Dalton last week that John Boston. No, no, this no. was not that hit. This was Russell Wilson, who was known as a runner, who was known as a dynamic runner with the football, starting to fake a slide in either an attempt to draw contact or fake a defender to get extra yards. And at that point, I think, I think it's fair game. If you fake the slide, you deserve to get lit up, get down when you need to get down, you know, but if they don't want to do that, what they can do is as soon as he goes to even start to give himself up, as soon as those knees bend and looks like he's going to go down, you blow the whistle right away. That's it. And you can avoid those things. And I think it's definitely something they can work into, too. And I mean, it's a professional multi-billion dollar rand organization, the NFL is. And you're telling me you can't yeah. not even – it's not proper training. It's just you can't find ways to enforce these rules. And again, at the end of the day, it's all about player safety, man. But you have – I I don't want to kind of sound like – mean on this part but you have to separate safety from football man and you have to understand that this is a game of football guys are getting constantly hit and constantly concussed all the time it's a part of the game and when you have guys who are naturally born to just tackle and you're starting to see that in college now where guys are really adjusting to new safety rules where tackling is just changing entirely you have a lot of guys Mm -hmm. like um, say Bobby Wagner, for example, or even whoever hit him, Aziz Alshire, you have a lot of these guys who are raised on lowering their helmets and just initiating contact. And they were born and raised through that their entire time. And you're not just going to change those habits in the course of a season or two. It's just natural for them at this point. And that's where I feel like the NFL doesn't seem to understand that you got to understand for them that football, they have been playing this their whole lives. This is exactly how they've played you can't just try and make dramatic changes that are that are going to protect player safety while making the defenders have to cough up paychecks at the end of the day because I'm sure Shire is going to have to pay fifteen or twenty thousand dollars for that hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's part of it. Um, there's a lot that needs to be done. Um, I think we're going to start to you know look forward to the Green Bay game right now. Um, real quick, I do want to answer. I know Ace Daddy's asked this a couple times. Why the Niners released DJ Reed? Um, he tore his pack and he was supposed to be out for the season. So that's why. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, hey, that's, listen, Seattle loves the 49ers sloppy seconds. They love it. So, um, oh, I tend but, to yeah, going forward, <laughs> I know. Going forward, um, what, what can we reasonably expect on such a short turnaround after a disappointing loss against Green Bay? What, what do you expect to happen? 
boy, it's hard to really expect after a performance like this. I guess if I want to have a half glass full type of view, I expect either Brandon Ayuk or if Debo Samuel comes back, I expect someone on offense to step up. I think Kyle Shanahan is too good of a coach to let two games in a row slip away and have us get killed this badly. And I know we lost to Miami and Philly, but the situation is a lot different right now. And I think, I think Shanahan needs to step up and play in panic mode, man, because time is clicking and time is running out. And I don't want to say that window is slammed shut entirely, man, but if it's 99% shut and that's just how it feels with this team. So I think, and I want to see this team play with a sense of urgency. I don't want to see players celebrating. Honestly, I don't want to see him celebrating after a sack on, on say like the third play of the game. It's like, dude, this game is just getting started. You still have four full quarters of football to play. Mm -hmm. I just want, the these guys play with their heads on their shoulders and just lock stay locked in and be focused if they can do that i still definitely think green bay is a winnable game it's just a matter of how bad do these guys want it yeah i i definitely think it's a winnable game and like i said green bay has not shown itself to be a team that can play with physical football teams and so if the 49ers can come out pissed off and thumping that they have as much chance to take Green Bay out in the first half as anyone. I mean, the, the Green, Green Bay Packers lost to the Vikings today, of all teams. <laughs> so, you know, it's an any given Sunday mentality. They have to take care of business at home. Um, you know, who knows what, what the deal is with Tevin Coleman. Um, Shanahan said he doesn't know if he's going to be able to go on, on Thursday. So that means we're probably going to get more cargo play McKinnon, unfortunately. And hopefully Jermichael Hasty can come back and have a, a decent game. Hopefully whoever is playing quarterback runs a mistake-free game, but you're absolutely correct when you say that Shanahan needs to coach like it's, it's critical time because it's not cutting time right now. Um, The 49ers are four and four. I think green Bay is a winnable game. They need to win some games. I think they can get into the playoffs at eight and eight or nine and seven, just based on the extra playoff spot and how woefully bad the NFC is this year. I mean, it's, it's pretty bad. Even with the loss today, I think the 49ers are in like the eighth position as far as like, seeding right. goes for the NFC, which is like, that's as bad as they've played to say that they're just like right there in the running for a playoff spot. is incredible to me. Um, that's because the NFC least is the worst division in football. And I don't know how they keep getting primetime games, but <laughs> you know, right. Do you know the winner of the Cowboys and Eagles tonight is actually in first place in that division? Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Those teams stink. <laughs> it's really bad and we dude. lost by the way to the philadelphia eagles which is so embarrassing but <laughs> we still have to play dallas also <laughs> yeah but yeah it, yeah either way this is a critical juncture for the 49ers and i think um i think it really is going to determine where we go again i don't want to say the window shut either uh but we're looking at a uh a, a retooling uh if not a full-blown rebuild just because of how much we got going on so if they can't get it done against the Packers, I think I think it's really panic mode time. And I think that'll almost again, we said it a couple of weeks ago, it's almost looking like each week is that do we pull the plug on the season or can they do some stuff? It's there, but they need to win their winnable games, and this is a winnable game. So um I think that's gonna do it for us, guys. Um we have a short week, so videos I think we're gonna do the overreaction show, um, and maybe one more before we uh you know, do the game preview and for Thursday night, obviously it's going to be late, but we're still going to do uh, probably a short recap after the game. So make sure that you join us. Um, thank you guys for coming in. We always love it when you're here, subscribe to us on YouTube, find us on Twitter. You know, we're always looking for that fan interaction. So uh, Perry, any, any last words? 
Yeah, guys, Zach and I will likely be dropping a new podcast this week for the Red and Gold Standard. Follow us on Twitter, RGS Pod. If you guys have any questions regarding this game, regarding the Packers' upcoming game, injuries, whatever it may be, drop them to me, drop them to Zach, drop them to Matt. We love your guys' interaction. We will interact with everyone and everyone. No matter how good or stupid your takes are, we love them all, guys. So drop a tweet, drop a message, drop a follow. We're here for you, and you know you guys are here for us too. Yep. And uh, as always, guys, uh, we love having you here. Click the bell for notifications so that you never miss out on a video. Until next time, go Niners. Go Niners.